you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. All right, all right. We're rocking again on the Huddle and Flow podcast. I'm Steve White with my guy, Jim Trotter. Jim, week seven, off the chain. Early games were nail biters. Late games were blowouts. And then the Sunday night game, just an, an absolutely incredible game between the Arizona Cardinals and the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, Steve, you know, anytime you get Russell Wilson on a Sunday night, it's typically um, a very noteworthy and intriguing game. Russell had been 5-0 and in uh, Sunday night games. And so he gets on that stage again. And you know, if there's a, if we have talked about on this show, if there's a quarterback who you would want to have the ball in his hands late in the game, needing a decisive drive, he's that guy. He got out-wrestled Wilson, let me put it that way, in that situation by Kyler Murray of the Cardinals. So, um, no, a heck of a fun game. So many storylines. Absolutely. Cause let, 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 we're going to circle back to that because some of the things we saw from the Seahawks, I think, are some of the legitimate current concerns about the Tennessee Titans uh, and, and some other teams. Um, quarterback play. Clearly the huge story is Tom Brady and the Buccaneers look like they are really – getting traction cam newton gets benched um and the rookies joe burrow is so good i just feel so bad that he's in the situation he's in justin herbert he gets the first dub um but just a couple you know another thing that you know we try and do here in the huddle flow gym is you know we always highlight hbcus and so we have a really special show where we are you know we're going to talk about some subjects that we brought up before with North Carolina A&T coach Sam Washington. A&T has been arguably the best black college football program over the past five years. And then Seahawks general manager John Schneider um, also is going to piggyback on that to talk about some of the issues that are going on with HBC football from a pro perspective. But Jim, as, as we get started, um, our first guest on the show is Washington head coach Ron Rivera. He just finished up his last round of cancer treatments on Monday very notable the fact that he was going through what he said he had a 300 pound bear or monster on his back all season long yeah no it's a, it's a special moment and and he said things are trending all indicators in the right direction so that's a positive and you know we just wish ron well um this has been a season unlike any other in so many ways for him not only personally from a league standpoint everything else so um again um, our thoughts and prayers and best wishes, and hopefully things are trending in the right direction. But let's get back to the Seahawks-Cardinals game, Jim. And what you wrote about in a fantastic column that's on NFL.com, Kyler Murray and the way he showed up. I mean, he's, he's just he's such a good player, and he's so fun to watch. He should be on TV darn near every week on, on the National Game of the Week. But what he did late, Jim, in, in leading his team, because – Russell Wilson got two cracks at it in overtime hmm. and didn't get it done. That's We don't see that. So what about no, the way the Cardinals finishing Kyler? Yeah, no. Um, the thing that was so fascinating to me about Kyler all week is they played on Monday night against Dallas, and 
and he was nine for 20 something, I believe, passing. And so the discussion all week had been about his lack of accuracy and whatnot. And it was funny to me because I viewed that game differently, I think, than a lot of other people. No question his accuracy was not good against the Cowboys. And he talked about later why. And he said, coming back home to Texas, he is a little too amped up. He got tired during the game because of all the adrenaline and everything else. His fundamentals were off. And so, yeah, he was not accurate. But what I saw in that Cowboys game was that he knew he did not have his A game in terms of passing. And so he relied on his legs to make plays, to move the chains, to move that offense. And to me, that was a sign of maturity and a sign of growth where you're not going to keep beating your head against a wall when it's not working. You find another way to make it work. And then he comes back against the Seahawks in another primetime game, and he truly steps up. His passing is on point. He made some throws that were great. He used his legs. And so for me, um, again, as I said earlier, to see him out Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson in that situation was phenomenal because he said after the game, the one thing he said, he did not smile the entire game. He was so locked in on this, knowing the importance of it, dreaming as a kid of playing on Sunday night or even a Monday night and knowing that if you want to continue to play in those type of games, those primetime games where everyone is watching, you've got to not only play well, but you've got to win those games. And they did that despite so many things that went against them. They were able to beat a very good Seattle team. Yeah, including some clock management things by his own coach. Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of people get on Cliff Kingsbury for icing his own kicker, but he had to do that. The play clock was about to run out, and they're about to take a five-yard hit. So pump the brakes on, on killing Cliff on, on calling that timeout, which led to the missed field goal, which, of course, led to the overtime play. All props to Kyler, though. Um, but I want to give some props to Vance Joseph, too. Thank you. I was about to say that, Steve. Look, this is a guy in terms of a defensive coordinator who's been put in a tough spot over two years. You go back to last year when he came in, he doesn't have Patrick Peterson for the first uh, six games, I six believe, games. he was serving a league suspension. You lose Robert Alford, your other starting quarterback, cornerback, before the season starts. You have two projected starters on the defensive line um, that you're counting on who then get let go before the season even starts. So all these factors were working against him last year. He comes back this year. They get some, some um, uh, upgrades and some additional depth. And then what happens? Chandler Jones, a premier pass rusher in the NFL, tears a bicep a couple of weeks ago. Now he's out for the year. He loses a couple of defensive tackles during the course of the game, so the rotation is off. Then you have Isaiah Simmons, who you were counting on, the linebacker from Clemson, to be a playmaker for you who has struggled in the transition, and he's not getting any reps. And so they're so fatigued and they're so spent by the end of that game that Vance has to put him in the game. And what happens? Isaiah Simmons, who took only five snaps, ends up making that interception of Russell to set up that game-winning field goal. So Vance is making it work in some very difficult situations. And again, this year even lost Robert Alford again to a season-ending injury as well before the year. So um, props to Vance. And that defense showed a lot of heart, a lot of grit, and a lot of resolve you know, against the league's highest-scoring offense and the Houdini quarterback and Russell Wilson. Speaking of defense, let's go to the Seahawks. And, and Jim, we've talked about it. Um, It is a concern. Russell Wilson has been able to overcome some of the issues because defensively they have made timely plays. I I don't know, man. I mean, I know they're getting Jamal Adams back any week now, but they are giving up a ton of yards. Most defenses in the NFL are. But they're giving up a ton of points as well. And and that's something that as we get into crunch time in the back half of the season, defenses do start to tighten up traditionally because you start playing teams second times. You know their tendencies. Um, but I just don't know, man. Seattle's not getting any pressure on the quarterback. They're asking their linebackers to do a ton in pass coverage. But depth-wise and stuff like that, Jim, I, I just don't know if they're going to be able to put it together. No, Steve, I think you're absolutely right. The key to everything for me from Seattle's perspective is pressuring the quarterback. And they just don't have those guys. And when you think that Jamal Williams, I'm sorry, Jamal Adams is their best um, rusher in terms of pressuring the quarterback, that's a problem. And it's going to be a problem late in the year. Yeah, during the regular season, they can put up a bunch of numbers offensively. But once we get into crunch time, as you say, where games get tight, games get short, and those sorts of things in the postseason. Right now, defensively, they're not showing that they can match up. Since you're talking real quickly on the, on the Seahawks defense, 
Tennessee Titans. This is another team that had a great game with the Steelers. Two unbeaten. Just a fantastic, fantastic game. Their defense does make some timely plays. Um, towards the end of the game, Jayon Brown, who forces the pick off of Roethlisberger in the end zone uh, on a pass to Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, but, Jim, I mean, they're just their third down defense is not good. Their scoring defense and some things, just not great. And another element of this game as you were talking about before we came on, special teams. You know, that, that's that got to be a legitimate red flag for Mike Vrabel in the squad. No question, Steve. In a lot of ways, they remind me of the Se- Seattle Seahawks in that um, high-scoring offense, but a defense that's not making those plays. And coupled with that, their special teams, as you say, their kicking game has not been good. Now, look, Steven Gostowski missed that 45-yarder that, you know, ended up costing them the game. But we can say, well, he's kicked three game winners this year earlier in the season. But if you dig a little deeper, he has had his issues. In the first game of the season, he missed three field goals before kicking that game winner. You know, you can come back and say he has missed an extra, he missed an extra point in each of his first two games. You know, um, he was 0 for 2 on field goals against the Texans. Now, one of those was blocked. You know, if you're going to play the way that the Titans play, which is really physical football, tough football, and and you're going to be in close games, you've got to have a kicking game that's on point. And right now, he is not on point. And and that's what has concerned me about the Titans all along, is that they've got to have all three phases working. And right now, they don't. They've got their offense working, but defensively, too many issues, although they've been opportunistic with the takeaways. And from um, a kicking standpoint, just not consistent, just not good enough. That's why a team like the Bears can come to special teams with the return guys like Cordero Patterson and Ted Ginn, who gives you good field position. Um, that's why they could be in it at the very end. Again, fantastic. Should be a fantastic Monday night game with the Rams. Um, Jim, real quick, we had a lot of great quarterback stories and whatnot, but me coming out of the weekend, I, I want to look at the rookies. Joey Burrow, I'm sorry, he is that dude. He is that guy. Okay, and I just hate that his team – is so bad that defensive and Carlos Dunlap is advertising his house for sale after the game because he wants out of Cincinnati so badly. Um, Justin Herbert was fantastic, uh, you know, getting his first win against the Jaguars. Now Tua is up against the Rams next week. You know, who knows no how pressure, the initial right? couple games are going to – Yeah, no pressure. You're just coming no in pressure. for a team that, that's playing well. There's a lot of outside turmoil. About, about the timing of the move, but I think Brian Flores knows a little bit more than we do about his quarterback situation. Real quick, Jim, we're going to have all three rookie first-round quarterbacks on the field the next week. Just a quick assessment. No, I, I think right now um, the first two who have played have shown they were deserving of where they were drafted, and they have lived up to the hype. In fact, Justin Herbert has been better as a professional, I would argue, than he was even as a college player. Um, and, and as you say, Joey Burrow has been that dude. Um, he has just looked outstanding. I still have concerns about how many hits he takes and how often they're throwing. Um, but there's no question that the ability is there. Now for Tua, the pressure, I say, is not only because of them inserting him into the lineup at a time when Ryan Fitzpatrick had been playing so well for the Dolphins and that they had been on a hot streak, but also the fact that those two other young guys, rookies, have, have played well. Um, this year in starting capacities. So there is going to be a lot of focus um, on Tua to play well, and I think he will. As you say, I think Brian Flores knows what he's doing, and we know Tua has a lot of talent. But, man, um, when you start talking about draft classes and quarterbacks and first rounds, if Tua is what we think he is, Herbert has shown what we thought he could be, and and Burrow has has shown what uh, we thought he could be, you start thinking about this in some respects to that. What was it, 1983 draft class? Oh, where man. you had, you know, Marino and Elway and all those guys. Jim um, Kelly. Yeah, this one has the possibility of being that good again. And, and I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm just saying right. they are showing the potential to be that good in terms of a first-round draft class. Jim, I'm really looking forward to this next segment um, that we're having right here because, again, you and I being graduates of HBCUs, if anybody didn't know, um, Howard University, <laughs> and you know we've been talking all you know since we, we started this podcast about HBCU athletics and how they're really stacked up. No spring football last year because of COVID. No fall ball this year because of COVID. 
and the impact that has on coaches and players who could have the opportunity to maybe segue and transition into the NFL. So up next, Jim, we're going to bring in North Carolina A&T head coach Sam Washington. Um, again, they won four of the last five black college championships at the Celebration Bowl. So players like Tariq Cohen into the NFL, and uh, he's made a habit out of just, just kicking Howard, Howard's football team in the guts. Who hasn't, Steve? <laughs> who hasn't? Right. And I hate you know, we can say that as alums, but who hasn't? But I have, I have confidence Coach Scott is going to get this thing right. I'm with him. All right, Jim, and on that note, let's bring in Coach Sam Washington. All right, Jim, now we are joined by North Carolina A&T coach Sam Washington. Now, A&T has been the most dominant black college football program for the past five years. And, it, Jim, it, it's come really a lot at Howard's expense, um, <laughs> including last year. A 64 to 6 beatdown, coaches. We bring you in here. I mean, did it have to be that bloody? Uh, well, we played everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I can't even be upset about it, Steve. You got to give the man in this program its respect. But even so, you know, we're still going to represent the alma mater on the show. But but much respect to, to A&T for what it's doing. And Man, that kind of excellence is is um, something we all strive for. So I'm hoping Howard can get there one day, and I believe Coach Scott hopefully will be the right man to to get us there. I think so. I really do. You know, I had the opportunity, you know, to talk with him quite frequently on these Zoom calls, and I think you guys have a good one. So, Coach Washington, I mean, one of the main reasons you want to have you on, besides you know, the fact that you, you you're having so much success at A and T, is you want to highlight coaches from HBCUs, uh, because so much of what we see in the NFL and things like that, they're taken from historically black colleges. I mean, concepts from some of these offenses we're seeing are from Eddie Robinson's wing T and, and some of the things we've seen. We know, and we know you played at Mississippi Valley State. We've had Jerry Rice on, and he was saying how he saw a game this year that where the Arizona Cardinals used formations that you used at Mississippi Valley. Yeah. What about Yeah, what about some of the sampling – that the NFL has done from these black colleges and to, you know, and if you could follow it up by saying, don't you wish that some of these black colleges and some of these innovative coaches and players could get some of the credit? Yeah. I think uh, Archie Cooley definitely should be one of those guys to get some of that credit. Um, back when uh, the 49ers was having all that success, that came from Mississippi Valley, you know, uh, the three wise and stacking them and, and leaving uh, Jerry backside one-on-one. You know, and uh, with the trip formation that the backside safety had to get involved on uh, that three receiver side, which left Jerry Rice backside one on one. And a lot of people are using that today. So, uh, yes, uh, he definitely would be one of the coaches that they should get some kind of recognition uh, for his services. Coach, I look at um, the success you've had at A&T and, and it even predated you with Rod uh, Broadway, Coach Broadway, and the level of excellence he had that everywhere um, he had been. What goes into, when he took over A&T, I believe they were coming off a one-win season. Absolutely. What goes into turning around a program and getting it from one win to now where consistently every year it is complete, competing not only for a conference championship, but a national championship? Oh, the culture. I think that's, if you use one word, it's, it's changing the culture uh, and um, excellence. You know, walk like, talk like, act like a champion in everything that you do. And, and, and not just on the football field. That's in the classroom. That's at the mall. That's at church. It don't matter where you are. You know, um, be your very best and give your very best. And um, the guys bought into it. They buy into it. And they understand and they see it's worth you know, so uh, we've been fortunate uh, to, you know, to do that, to get that culture where everybody want to be, be great. Coach, what is, what is, what are the challenges I should say of coaching in this environment? You did not have spring ball last year because of the COVID outbreak. Am I correct? Did you have spring ball last year? No, we did not. Okay. And then you don't, now you didn't have, you're not having a fall season. I mean, how do you keep guys engaged? How do you recruit? I mean, what are some of the obstacles of going through this? Because 
most black colleges and a lot of smaller FCS type programs are going through this with you. Absolutely. It's been tough. I ain't gonna lie. And uh, it's been, you know, I'd like to say a seesaw. It's been a roller coaster. You know, mm-hmm. you have those big highs and those lows. It's very difficult to keep these young kids from socializing. Now that's the task. That's the, the toughest task. And, and, you know, trying to get them to understand the importance of not going to the parties. It's just not the time. It's not the place. And um, I think that's the biggest challenge. Coach, one thing Jim and I have talked about is you guys are right now scheduled to play a spring schedule, yes. right? So you're going to be able to get on the field. However, February 27th is kind of the projected start date. Okay, that's also the projected start start date right around there um, for the NFL draft combine. Yes. So you've got – NFL draft eligible players on your team. We know Jamaine Martin, the running back, and hopefully you can tell us about some other guys too, are, are guys your teams are going to be looking at. But what about the quandary they're in? Do they play? Do they not play? How do you get eyes on them? You said you're on the field for five hours a week. I don't know if NFL scouts are even coming down there to look at them. I mean, how do you get them the recognition and, and the proper eyes on them so they get a fair shot to get drafted in the NFL? Uh, well, that's the difficult part. That That is very difficult because one thing, they're not allowed on the campus, for one. Um, so that that is out. But uh, we do have a direct pipeline, you know, to the NFL's um, film. So, you know, they do have access to our complete season. Um, now, this coming spring, going, some decisions going to have to be made. And, and I'm not quite sure. I don't think Jermaine – is quite sure, you know, what he's going to do. And and uh, I think the season would do him well. Uh, it's a few other things um, they would like to see, see him do. Coach, why do you think, if you look at the numbers and the trend in recent years, NFL clubs in terms of the draft have been going away from HBCUs. I mean, last year we only had one player drafted. The year before it was four. The year before that it was three. And if you look at the numbers over the last decade, you know, I believe there had been 70 total drafted, which which was an average of seven a year. But in recent years, again, one, four, three. Why do you think all of a sudden the numbers are trending down in terms of NFL clubs actually drafting HBCU players? You know, I I can't figure that one out. I really don't. I don't understand it. Uh, You know, we've proven (laughs) to be – vibrant players. I mean, go to camps and, and perform well and do well. Um, you know, it, it could be contributed to the number of opportunities out there now. 144 1AA teams playing football today. You know, not to mention how many Division One teams are playing football. So that, that may have something to do with it. Coach, other than Jermaine Martin, the uh, the running back, your outstanding running back, a lot, a lot of preseason All-American list. What, what other players um, have you heard about who are who who got the attention of the NFL? Uh, Frank McCain, the cornerback, twenty nine. Uh, he's he's a football player. Uh, Corey Banks, receiver. Now he was a transfer from uh, South Carolina, University of South Carolina. He's a football player, and you know he was one of those four or five star guys coming out of high school that uh, he just made plays and just love have that passion, you know, for the game. Because Jim and I have talked about this for months now, uh, including with one of your, you know, former A&T player, Tariq Cohen, Chicago Bears running back. Um, McCore Maker, one of the top high school basketball players in the country, he committed to Howard. He said, I, I could have gone to UCLA, yeah. Memphis, whatever, but yeah. I'm going to go to an HBCU. And, you know, the big – Argument is though, could that happen with HBCU football? I mean, could could you get enough of these of these four and and five star recruits and blue chippers to kind of ride what we're feeling as a wave to HBCUs? Man, I would love it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need four or five. Give me two or three. <laughs> I do think the, uh, the opportunity is trending back a little more. And that's, that's on the real. I mean, a lot of the kids, you know, you know, don't have the same need, you know, that they did, you know, a few years ago. And and with that, that cost of living, you know, um, 
a lot of people are able to, you know, help kids out financially. And and HBCUs don't have those resources, you know, to help, you know, families out, um, you know. So I, I think that's one of the bigger factors. A lot of the kids signing, you know, just to get that, that little change. Coach, how can we get more coaches from HBCUs, even if not head coaches, coordinators and whatnot, into an NFL pipeline? Because, you know, when we talk, Jim and I talk a lot to these team executives and whatnot, and a lot of them are, are clueless that there's even talented coaches at some of these historically black colleges. I mean, Absolutely. Not- you know, and I think they, you know, they put little programs out there, but they're not legit. You know, they, 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 they want to say they have something or a, um, a direct line in, but uh, I don't think it's legit. I really don't. You know, we, uh, I think it's a lot of young, brilliant minds out here. Brilliant. I, I have two young coaches on my staff, I think. I ain't no doubt about it. Um, can coach at the next level. Give us their names. We'll get them out there. Given, given uh, uh, Denzel Jones um, uh, and uh, Thomas Howell. And, uh, coach, have they been involved with the, uh, with the NFL internship program or those sorts of things? No. No. No, oh, we got to get their names involved. Yeah, how do we get? I mean, from from your perspective, what is the best way to get these guys out there? I mean, is it is it up to them to make the contact? Is it up to the NFL to reach down to you? Is it a is it a meeting in between? You know what? And and, and it may be you guys, you know, because there's uh, it's definitely a disconnect somewhere. There's definitely a disconnect, and and those opportunities are just not afforded to us. Um, you know, I think they're out there, but I have yet to see it happen. Uh, you know, my little tenure in the NFL was back in the early '80s. Everybody gone. Hmm. You know, so so I I don't have those direct um, phone calls or, or phone numbers. Uh, you know, to give guys opportunities. Coach, you only have a couple minutes left here, but I, I do want to ask you this: We, we see A and T after the season. You guys are leaving the MEAC. Um, going down to the Big South. We've seen Hampton go to the Big South. We know Tennessee State plays in the Ohio Valley where these black colleges now are leaving some of the the historically black athletic conferences um, to go to other conferences. What is is the genesis behind that? And in any way, shape, or form, is there any concern on your part that some of these historically black college athletic conferences may disband – because of financial reasons or or what other reasons to join other conferences? Well, um, let me just say I had nothing to do with that. That's above my pay grade. <laughs> 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 roll with the punches. Uh, I've had opportunity to leave like football many times, and I chose to stay. Uh, this is where I felt I belong. This is where I love to be. So, uh, you know, when it happened, it just happened. I mean, out of nowhere. So, Coach, I think that's so important what you just said, that you felt this is where you need to be. Um, can you speak to that a little bit more about what it means to be a coach at an HBCU and the impact that you're able to have on young men of color in particular um, in terms of preparing them not only to be football players, but productive citizens in society? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I think that's when you start living, once you find your purpose in life. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, my purpose in life was to help guide and direct and give young black men opportunities that they would not have been afforded otherwise. And uh, football was my way out. Uh, that's how I was able to get out of uh, you know the streets of Tampa, Florida, you know, through football. And so I tried my best, you know, to reach back and uh, pull one or two guys uh, from that same environment, regardless of what state or city it's it's in, and uh, give them the opportunity, you know, uh, to become productive uh, citizens. Let's circle back in the spring when you guys are getting ready to take the field, and and, and let's catch up again. Please. Thanks so much, Coach. Appreciate you. You guys take care. I'm Anquan Bolden. I'm Soledad O'Brien. I'm Washington head coach Ron Rivera. And you're listening to the Huddle and Flow. Huddle and Flow. The Huddle and Flow podcast. Jim, it's it's just so good to hear 
someone like Sam Washington saying, we know this is the case for a lot of situations at HBCUs where you have opportunities to go elsewhere, but you feel your lifeblood is on that campus and the traditions and the students. And just so much credit for him for, for sticking with HBCUs and what they mean for so long, because that's why they're so enriching to people like you and me and so many others. Oh, no question, Steve. As we talked about, his impact goes beyond just the football field with these young men. It goes to life and preparing them for life. So um, his message to me, what I took from it is about priorities and purpose. And you understand what his priorities and his purpose is by saying that he's where he not only wants to be, but he feels he needs to be. And um, props to him for that. Now, this is kind of a cool thing that we were able to do here on this podcast. So to to make it really meaningful, that discussion we had Coach Washington about opportunities for people from HBCUs in the NFL. Now we're going to bring in Seattle Seahawks general manager, John Schneider, who can give it the NFL scouting perspective on HBCU talent. HBCUs having to face a situation where they're not playing fall football. So this interview took place before the Sunday night football game. And, uh, you know, we just want to thank John for really gleaning some perspective here, Jim, because this is something we really don't hear, and I'm glad here on the Hudland Flow we can shine a light on this. Yeah, no question, Steve. I think the one thing we've been fortunate with with the podcast is so far we've had two general managers on, and Schneider and John Lynch, and both have been so open and honest in terms of talking about certain issues and certain topics. So, um, Schneider, definitely this is worth your, your listen. All right, Jim, now we are joined by a very special guest, someone that we know well, someone uh, who's one of the best at what he does in the NFL, and that's Seahawks general manager, John Schneider. John, uh, good seeing you. We're, we're also seeing that beautiful view of, uh, of the facility there, you know, one of the best facilities in, in the NFL. But how's everything going so far, man? It's going good. You know, it's, it's been um, <clears throat> obviously like everybody else, it's been challenging with, with COVID and all the, you know, all the different procedures and uh, everything that we've been going through, but I think our, our staff's been doing a great job of, uh, you know, just keeping everybody healthy and trying to stay in our bubble. What is the, I would say, the hardest part of your job that maybe we as outsiders don't see or don't think about? Uh, you mean besides when you guys are on TV just saying, hey, pay the man. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> yeah, I love that. The NFL Network, too, right? Like, I'm, you know, I'm like, oh, just pay him. Yeah, okay. We'll just go outside of the tree and, you know, grab some more cash off. But, you know, uh, it's not but, your money. <laughs> I think, I think managing, managing the gap, managing the gap, managing, uh, um, you know, kind of creating that, that, competitive consistent competitive uh, landscape is 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 a huge challenge and knowing that you're gonna have to make really hard decisions we consider ourselves a, a developmental organization and, and knowing that you're gonna have to make those those really hard decisions um you know every year to to, to stay competitive um but really you know cha- challenging um you're you're not only evaluating um you know the, the players but you're evaluating um you know, the way the coaches feel about people, you're, you're evaluating people all the time, right? You're evaluating, uh, you know, our, your trainers, doctors, equipment people, and anybody that's touching the players as well. Is, it's not just all about ac- uh, acquisition, it's about a, a, a culture. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously I'm biased, but I think we've done a really nice job here with that. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's a great point. And, and Jim, I don't think anyone in the NFL who would argue with this, the culture you guys have developed um, – in that building, I think I thought that was really poignant what you just said. Your communication with Pete Carroll, and you guys deciding, hey, this guy might be a good player, but he's not exactly what we're looking for. And then all of a sudden, you get a, a player from another team like a Jamal Adams, where you make the big trade and you say, this with the player talent and the way we we like him will fit right in. I mean, how do you weigh? You know, a, a, a risk like that on either side, getting rid of a guy who's a good player who may not fit the culture, as opposed to acquiring a guy you're not 100% familiar with, but you think would fit right into your culture. When you come across, uh, when, when you're able to acquire a guy or be able to, to be involved in a, in a uh, you know, trade discussions with a player like Jamal, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's a no brainer, but when, when you evaluate it, it's really, it really comes down to that one in particular. It comes down to 
how do you acquire a player of that uh, that 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 talent level, right? And people would argue, you know, you know, we the three of us could sit and argue that there's every year there's between maybe you know fifteen and twenty, call it twenty two, true first round graded players every year, um, but thirty two of them have to get picked, right? So. You know, it's like how do you how do you figure out um, you know how to acquire somebody like that? And so that one for us was like, okay, let's you know if we're if we were picking in the you know late twenties again, we're never gonna we're never gonna see a, a, a guy that, that you know would pick would pick that high with that talent. Up. You know, John, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on, and and we'll circle back to some of the scouting. Um, it's the fact that you're a GM whose background is in scouting. And as we look at the landscape now, particularly as it relates to historically black colleges and universities, they're not having a fall season and they won't start play until February. Um, and, and we were wondering from your perspective in terms of evaluating players, knowing that they won't be at the scouting combine because they will be in the middle or the early stages of their season, how do you go about evaluating these players and what impact is them not having a fall season going to have on their draft prospects? You know, it's a, it's a great question. And, and, and you know, Matt Berry, uh, our, our college staff, those guys, Trent and, and, and Scott Fitter, uh, you know, these guys have been spending a ton of time on that. Um, you know, we we have a lot of really cool connections. We had, you know, Alonzo Highsmith with us now, and uh, so he has a lot of really cool contacts down there as well. And the, I say down there because I feel like we're in Moscow up here. So, <laughs> but, uh, in the, you know, uh, in that area. But I think, you know, really, I, I think you'll see, you know, guys that that either they, they test well, in, you know, at, at their, their pro days, and we're going to spend, you know, just as much or more time getting to know the players at, at their pro days. Um, and if they test well, great. If they don't necessarily test well, I think you'll see a lot of these guys come back um, and get in a regular groove and, and, and play again. You know, the seniors especially come back and, and have that extra year of eligibility. John, um, help, me under, help me understand that, though. When you say test at their pro day, yeah, pro days are typically – they will fall right in, in in the middle of their season that they're about to have now. Yeah, so. it's going to be clo- it's going to be close for those guys. It's going to be really close. Do they finish their season and then go right into a training? You know, like a like a modified um, spring training. You know, period for their pro days. And what does that look like for the, all those different all those different schools? Or will they? Will there be guys that just transfer out? You know, and go somewhere else to play at a different school. Um, we're talking about that, not just with HBCU schools, but, you know, if you look at, we were just talking about it this morning, you know, maybe we'll see more parity in college football next year because you have so many guys wanting to come back and, and, and play again and disperse to different schools. John, has there been any talk because of the truncated, a lot of the truncated college schedules of there being a modified pro day, even if it's a virtual Thing like, hey, some of these schools aren't going to play until the end of February. Um, let's have maybe a pro day before they start their seasons, or at some point, has there been any conversation at, about that among in NFL circles? Yeah, we've had com- uh, conversations about you know whether or not you know can we get into a stadium and and uh, you know just you know if they're if they're if several schools come together, like what does that look like? Uh, Obviously, nothing's set in stone right now, and we've had procedures being changed, you know, um, as of last week, you know. So uh, I think, you know, as, as, as much as we can, getting guys to be able to go to different pro days and, and um, whether it's even just a school, an individual school workout where you're, we can be, in, you know, we can be in the stands and you can, you can see the guys just work. Necessar- not Maybe not necessarily – Test timing and testing, depending on where they are in their season. But uh, you know what? However, however we can figure this out, we're going to figure it out. John, how do you view a player who may opt out and enter the draft? Um, do you do you will you hold that against him? Um, 
is it not a factor? What, how do no, you view a player? No, I don't. Especially in, in this environment, I don't. I don't see it as a. You know, you got guys that have opted out. You, know, you, you remember now, you have, you know, nineteen, twenty-year-old young men, right? Who's you know, parents are helping them decide what they're going to do and 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 um, who they're going to be around. So that's that's not something that we would hold against uh, anybody. I mean, we you know, going into our season, right, when we had guys that were, were considering hope, uh, opting out. It was it was understandable because you know what what what's what's the bubble going to look like? What's our season going to look like? I don't. Uh, that's not that's not something that we would you know hold against somebody. I, I could I could honestly see where you wouldn't want to transfer to a different school and just come out and and, and, and take a shot. And um, honestly, that was one of the reasons. When, you know, getting back to the Jamal thing, that was one of the reasons that we were kind of willing to go for it because it just it was kind of a you know, things seemed like they were going to be pretty murky. So, you know, our, uh, you know, these next two years, are they going to, these next two drafts are going to, um, what are they going to look like? It's going to be, you have, you have to be on top of your stuff. So that is so, I hadn't thought about the Jamal Adams trade from that perspective with you all looking at it in terms of the next two drafts. That is so smart. Um, Again, I just learned. I just learned something, well, man. To think about how a GM. Can't help themselves, right? Okay. Huh? <laughs> God helps those who can't help themselves. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, that is so smart. I hadn't even thought it about really it from that, from that perspective. That's that's almost genius. Um, you know, um, Steve and I are both Howard men, and and obviously our our affection for historically black colleges and universities is understood. But I'm curious, John, as to why the trend of late is that we're seeing fewer and fewer players from HBCUs being drafted. Last year, there was only one. The year before that, there were four. The year before that, there were three. But when you look at it over a decade span, there were 70, I believe, drafted from 2010 to, to 2020, and which is an average of 70 a year, and yet we haven't even met that average the last three years. Yeah. I selfishly, I believe that there are players there who can play. So yeah, why aren't we? Yeah. yeah so why yeah, aren't we are, seeing them are. drafted? I think, I think you see, you know, uh, more and more, especially with uh, the way these, these kids are inundated with uh, Instagram and social media and all that. I mean, just like the, that instant, like, you know, the, that flash, right. You, you go into all these schools and uh, especially the bigger schools and, you know, you have you walk into these lobbies, and who has the nicest lobby? And who has like the, you know, the, you know, what kind of gloves are we going to wear with what helmet? And um, things are things have changed pretty damn quick. You know, uh, even in the last decade, you know, at you go to Oregon or you go to you know, even the schools out here, you know, uh, Washington, University of Washington, and they have you know the mannequins set up with like every uniform they're going to wear for every specific game. And, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of kids that would be like, you know what, I just want to be um, maybe part of the, maybe just be a part of something flashy and cool like that, or or uh, what might be more, uh, I don't know, yeah, I'd say flashy, right? Instead of, you know, okay, you know, what does the education look like? What is you know, uh, what what's the competition going to look like? What's my play time going to look like? Um, what kind of resume? Like, what kind of resume am I going to have for the National Football League? And, um, the only, the only way, the only, the only reason I, I feel that way is just because of that, that you know, that attraction to go, you know, every week on national television, or I don't know, even just to to be part of a program like that. I think, I think that's what we're seeing. And what I was saying earlier is maybe we're going to see more guys transferring to schools, like just just to be able just to get more playing time. So do you, do you think, think that to follow up on Jim's question, is sure. it more of a talent issue uh, then at these black schools or is it just these NFL teams not mining um, the campuses and, and getting some of the players that are at schools like North Carolina A&T where Tariq Cohen came from or Darius yeah. Leonard at South Carolina State? Yeah, so you, you Tariq Cohen's a perfect example, right? Like five foot seven, right? So – you know how how much is he being recruited by the you know Washington? I'm not going to use University of Washington to tell here, but you know how much is he being recruited by those schools? And and it's always you know it's always been like that since I've been involved. There's always there's always players you know HBCU schools 
And you're always going to have those guys that are going to go play at the, 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 the you know, bigger name schools. John, from a scouting standpoint, is the amount of time spent different on, say, a University of Washington versus teams in the MEAC or the SWAC or these historically black colleges, um, these conferences? How much, how do you allocate your time in terms of evaluating players at different levels of college football? Yeah, not, not, not anymore. I could see, you know, in the past, um, where that may have been, but not with the technology and the resources that everybody has. Uh, you know, I know. So with us, you know, we we have we have our area scouts, and they're they're responsible for all the schools in that in that area, um, no matter what level. And uh, they have to be the experts in their area. And then obviously we have guys going in over the top and scouting, and uh, you know, cruise into some school, you know, some of the you know, bigger schools or guys that, you know, we want to try to focus on or guys that we're struggling with a little bit, um, Scott and, and Trent and myself. But we have, you know, guys that are, and uh, Alonzo's doing the same thing with us, uh, scouting over the top. Um, but the guys in the area, when we when we have our meetings, they're presenting on you know, every, every school. They'll, you know, call it Minnesota. They'll, they'll Minnesota, you know, um, St. Thomas, St. John's, I mean, you know, there's a wide variety of schools. You know, Minnesota, you got you got your D three schools, you got your Division two schools, and then obviously you got University of Minnesota. Last question for me on this, John, is how difficult is it to project in evaluating a player from someone at a lower level versus the the um, Alabamas of the world and whatnot? Well, no, any one double A school, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, How yeah. difficult is it to make that that projection of a player from that level versus another, a higher level? It's, it's definitely it's definitely harder, but that's that's the that's the fun part, that's the exciting part, right? That's the understanding who they're playing against, right? So who's he? You have to be able to you have to be able to evaluate the competition, right? And usually by the time we get to our meetings. Those guys understand that our area scouts, and so they they always will say, "Hey, let's go to this game. Let's go to that game. This guy played him. This guy well. This guy player A played player B well." And and you know it's just natural, Jim, to go to the you know if, if you know if, if uh, you know if Grambling's played you know Oklahoma State or something. I'm just throwing that out, right? Like you're going to go to that game first if you're scouting someone from Grambling. You know, to go back to something you said earlier, too, about, again, your organization, because I think you guys lead the way in acquiring, you know, good coaches and developing guys who can really develop talent. We're talking about missing out maybe on some players or whatever because of COVID, but the relationships, because you guys can't get on campus, right? So the relationships when you go to a campus, you can meet an assistant coach or a strength coach or something like that, but you can't do that now. Is there any thought of, Man, you know, I could be missing out on a potential coach just because of this. Like again, maybe he's he's a wide receiver coach who's at a university who's got a lot of promise, but you'd have to take someone's word above it rather than you having that relationship. Yeah, you, we're, we're, you're still going to have your relationships, Steve. So you know, Alonzo's going to have his relationships uh, at specific schools. Uh, Aaron Heinlein's going to have his. Matt Barry's going. I mean, everybody. We try to like you know balance out the country with our relationships. You know, the schools are doing a great job, too, Steve, with, with, you know, their presentations and their Zoom calls and, uh, you know, uh, what what information they're giving out. But we still you still have to have those relationships where, you know, you do drive to the city, you, you, you take a you take a coach out for a cup of coffee or, or, or buy them lunch or something like that. Or, you know, all those relationships that, that you, you still have to continue to foster. John, you know, COVID prevented the league from having its first HBCU combine. I'm wondering what impact do you think when ultimately that does happen? What impact will that have on scouting and the drafting of HBCU players? See, I, I, I personally, I think it'll have an impact, but I just believe in our, you know, the scouting process so much that you know they're going to they're going to in in some form or fashion we're going to figure out a way to give them an opportunity, an opportunity as well. So. You know, um, guys are going to go wherever they get, 
where they can, the different pro day or, or wherever they wherever they could possibly can to work out. If I can put words in your mouth for a minute, what what you're saying is the teams that do a good job scouting will already know about those players and will find them, and essentially don't need that. Is that what you're saying? Is that fair? Is that a fair characterization? That's fair. <laughs> hey, Jeremy, we only got a couple more minutes, so I want to, you know, just. Uh, a couple quick questions about what's, what's going on with, with your team right now. And when we see the ascension of someone like a DK Metcalf, even Russell Wilson right now, I mean, there's so, how so many guys continue, your guys in your secondary. And this, I mean, this is something we can count on from the Seahawks every year. You talked about development. What has been the secret to success about player development where you take a fifth rounder like a Richard Sherman and he come, turns into a great player or – you know, even someone in the back end of a first round, like a DK Metcalf now, who looks like he's going to be a perennial all-pro type player. What's What's been kind of the secret sauce that's allowed that to happen each year with your with your club? Man, Steve, that's that's pretty deep. Um, <laughs> right. There's a lot. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of different things. I think. There, I think there's. There's. You know the the uh, you know starting with acquisition, like what kind of self-efficacy does the guy have, or what kind of what kind of you know what chip kind of chip does he have on his shoulder? What kind of level of grit? What does he overcome? Um, and you learn those different things, you know, over the years with, you know, people like you said that have succeeded. And you also learn from your mistakes as well. Um, you know, how much, uh, again, from an acquisition standpoint. Um, but I think with, in, in our world right here, you know, uh, in Seattle, uh, we've always talked about not having any walls. I've worked at places where, you know, um, you know the, the personnel guys stay over here, and the, and, and the coaches stay over here. You know, it's, you know, it might even be on different floors in some places, right? And so, uh, just our constant uh, communication and and and, and uh, uh, activity uh, with with the coaches, and then having coaches that understand that you know you you have to play young people and you have to. You have to uh, develop people, and then I think probably Pete's, you know, Pete's attitude, that you know, that that positive, confident attitude, and that that swagger about like, look, like Pete does such a great job of instilling confidence in people. It's it's uh, it's it's a pretty, it's a very unique trait. You know, John, I wanted to hit on. We'd be remiss not to ask you about <clears throat> Russell Wilson right now, and it's easy for everyone to be on his bandwagon right now, but. Um, based on conversations you and I had had even before the draft, I know you were on the table for him from Jump Street. Did you envision back then, even when you were were so supportive and like what you saw, that he would develop into what we're seeing today? Uh, I can't, no, I can't say honestly that that, that, that I, I did. I know I know that he had all the factors of uh, and the traits of um, you know the the. You know the Brett Favre and the Rich Gannons and the you know um, Aaron Rodgers and you know the, the really good quarterbacks that I had been around and you know being at a young age I was really blessed to be able to start with Coach Holmgren and John Gruden and Marty Morningweg and, and, and Steve Mariucci and, and quarterback guys right um, so you know, learning, learning from those guys, he had the, he had those traits. You could literally go down the whole, the whole list and go down your whole checklist and say that the only thing that he, that he didn't have was, was the height. And, um, but is he able to make those throws? But to say that, um, you know, that he'd be at this level, I, you know, I, I can't, no, I, I, I can't say that. I knew he'd be a damn good player. Um, uh, but, Every year he seems to, you know, uh, set higher standards for himself. Man, Jim, I, I mean, the fact that, that John Schneider, you know, really kind of explained some of the perspectives and some of the things that they do with Seattle. Of course, not all the teams are like the Seahawks. I mean, they draft late. You know, like, you know some of the rationale he gave us for the trade for Jamal Adams. Because they don't know, because they're not going to have full eyes on these college players in the draft, and they know a known commodity like Jamal Adams, you know, why they opted to give up what they did to make that trade. Just really cool for him to kind of explain all that to us. 
Yeah, no, I loved it. I, anytime you can get behind the curtain and understand the thought process in terms of some of these moves or how team building is done, I think is invaluable. Whether you agree with it or disagree with it, it just it, it provides insight and light um, into these circumstances. So I appreciate John coming on and let, telling us that because I really hadn't even thought about um, that in terms of COVID being a factor in the trade for Jamal Adams, but props to him for having the foresight to um, to consider that or, or, or include that in the equation. And as you button this up, well, let's go back to Seattle and John Schneider, a player he drafted, a player that folks said he wasn't very good. He's got all limitations. And as we talked about in that interview, their, their player development, that's wide receiver DK Metcalf. First off, he's emerged as a star this year. But, Jim, there's not going to be any play he makes this season. And if he does, then we're really over the moon and fortunate than when he, when he chased down Buda Baker uh, on the interception. It's a very poor pass by Russell Wilson. He was in the end zone. DK Metcalf was in the end zone. Buda Baker picked it off at about the four, and he walked him down and caught him. And the Seahawks' D held and denied points on the other end when the Cardinals took it over first and goal from like the three or four. Jim, that's a play that from youth league to high school to college – or whatever, every coach is going to show his players about effort and what that means and how important that is. It was interesting because it kind of brought full circle that earlier in the week, um, DK had been asked about as a a youngster um, playing other sports. And he had mentioned that he had had visions of participating in the Olympics in track or playing professional basketball, but realized that football was his way to go. So he may not have run in the Olympics, but he showed he has some world-class speed by doing what he did Sunday night. And think about it, Jim. He should have had the game-winning touchdown. It was called back on a holding play by Moore. Uh, in the was in the fourth quarter overtime. I can't remember. But he's caught it back. And he just, whoop, same, same sideline, hit the gas. And, and I was like, man, this is, this is so impressive. An absolutely fantastic week seven. We wish all of the injured players, Odell Beckham, Kenyon Drake, all of these guys, it was just a bad weekend uh, for injuries as well. Andy Dalton, among the few that uh, these things, you know, they, they come back better and stronger because, again, the season of COVID injuries, absolutely devastating, Jim. We want to thank Sam Washington. Folks, we're going to have more coaches and players on from HBCUs, by the way, to just talk about the situations that we're in because that's what Jim and I do, and this is a, a platform we have on this podcast to highlight HBCUs, and we're going to continue doing that. Um, so Sam Washington, John Schneider for joining us. Um, please read Jim's column, by the way, on the Arizona Cardinals. You can find it at NFL.com slash Trotter. It is a brilliant piece of writing. Um, can't stress it enough. I just really enjoyed that. That's why Jim is who he is. Jim, just some final thoughts, and then you can bring us home. No, just um, I appreciate it. I don't have any more money to pay you for um, (laughs) pushing people to the column. I'm broke now, but thank you. And as we always say on this podcast, look, we are here for you. So please, when you listen, leave a a review, subscribe, leave us comments. Tell us uh, what you want to hear so that we can get it to you because we want to give you more of what you're funking for. What you're funking for. So That's please, right. subscribe, leave a review, a comment. Um, we appreciate it. And quickly, before we get out of here, um, a little bit later on this week or coming up, we're going to have an interview with ABC News correspondent. Um, she does it all, Lindsay Davis. She has moderated um, debates. She's covered some of the biggest stories that there have been. We are thrilled to have her on. So please, we'll let you know when this is coming, but please listen to that because we talk sports here, but we also talk life, especially in this this grand time uh, of, of America right now. So Lindsay Davis coming up a little bit later this week. For my guy Jim Trotter and our producer Thomas Warren, we are the Howard Mob, the Huddle Flow podcast, and we are out. You go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want 
you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 